Good morning. Well, we're right in the middle, or a little past the middle, actually, of Chicago's biggest comic book convention, the Chicago Comic-Con, second largest comics and pop culture event in the country. And we have two of the guests of honor at that convention and one of the organizers of the convention here with us this morning to talk about matters of vital importance to us all. Comic books as art, comic books as business, comic books as stuff, too, I guess. Our guests are Peter David, the author of New York Times bestseller Star Trek novels, a writer for the TV series Babylon 5, probably better known to comics fans as the writer of The Incredible Hulk, among other titles. Chris Claremont, a science fiction and fantasy novelist whose comic series is called Sovereign Seven, but who's probably best known for writing the stories that propelled a relatively lackluster comic known as the X-Men to the top of the comics bestseller list in the 70s on through the early 90s. Joining them is Gary Colabono, president of Classics International Entertainment and the CEO of the 20th annual Chicago Comic-Con, uh, Classics International, a chain of comic stores that uh, is known here in the Chicago, uh, Chicago area as uh, Moondogs. Glad to have you all here. I'm out of breath after the introduction. Uh, the comic book industry, as I don't think a lot of people outside the comic book industry know, is going through some traumatic changes uh, this summer. Uh, Peter... I want to turn to you first because you came up in the business through the sales end at Marvel Comics, mm. and because you've written extensively about some of these changes in your weekly column in uh, the Comics Buyer's Guide, lay it out for, for people who have no idea what's going on, what is going on. Well, let's see. We only have half an hour, so <laughs> that's right. try to make it simple. Comic books go to comic book specialty stores through, vary, through, through various distribution means. And previously, there had been a variety of independent distributors, um, Capital City, Diamond, outfits like this, who existed and exist to get comic books to the stores. And what would happen is that the comic book publishers would essentially sell their comic books to these distributors who would in turn sell them to the retailers, and that's how you find them in your local comic book specialty store. What's happened is that Marvel Comics initiated a change in the status quo by essentially becoming their own distributor, purchasing an already existing distribution outfit called Heroes World, and using that to become an exclusive distributor of Marvel Comics, thereby cutting Diamond Capital and every other distributor out of the loop. Since then, DC Comics went exclusive with Diamond. They didn't purchase Diamond. They simply set up an exclusive distribution deal with Diamond acting as their agent. This has sent a flurry of speculation through the industry as people keep saying, well, the other shoe has dropped. Oh, no, now another shoe has dropped. It's basically a major shoe storm or some kind of storm <laughs> is uh, hitting the industry. And it is a very disconcerting time to be a distributor. It is a very disconcerting time to be a retailer because you really don't know where your books are going to be coming from or how you're going to be getting them. Marvel Comics' new self-distribution starts with the month of July, and there's a lot of nail-biting that's going on. Bottom, the bottom line for a lot of And the bottom the line for the, for the fans is that those fans who have been accustomed to coming in to their comic book stores once a week on a particular day and all the comic books are there may find that the books are not there because there may be smaller numbers that have been ordered because the retailers have to totally restructure how they order things based on new discount schedules. 
or they may find that the books simply aren't there because instead of a truck coming from Capital City or Diamond delivering the books, it's being delivered by a UPS guy who didn't make it out there that day. So and and it was impossible for the retailer to get the books in when he was supposed to. So it becomes more of a catch as catch can thing. So that's really how it's going to impact most directly upon the fan base. Chris and Peter, after Chris, I want to ask you both as as uh, creators of comics, how does all this uh, this maneuvering at the corporate level uh, affect you at the creative level? Well, I think what to just spin off of what Peter was saying for a brief moment, what's happening with the distribution side of things is actually a symptom of a much more fundamental change which is primarily occurring with Marvel and that's its evolution in a very very short space of time from a company that was primarily a publishing house a publisher of comics into a multi-billion dollar multinational media services company one of whose arms and at this point a not ferociously profitable one is a publisher of comics. Uh, at this point in time, they, the Marvel Entertainment derives far more income from, from its toy licenses, from its card licenses, from, from what could be perceived by businessmen as far more traditional forms of uh, character exploitation than they do from publishing. So and far uh, more lucrative. And far more lucrative. Uh, so a lot of the decisions that they're making now with respect to the direct market and, and, and the marketing of comics are, come from a perception that, that I think a desire to bring the publishing side of things up to speed with these other uh, income-generating uh, divisions. So from my point of view as a creator, what this does, firstly, is it... it it significantly unsettles an already depressed marketplace because sales are down significantly over over the last three or four years. I mean, when when X Men number one launched in 1991, it sold 7.9 million copies. Um, two years ago, you could expect a first issue of a new superhero series to sell at least a half million and possibly three quarters of a million copies. Now, if you can sell 200,000 to a quarter million, you're considered way ahead of the pack. Um, even the X-Men sales, which for uh, for the bulk of my tenure on the book were considered the benchmark, have dropped significantly over the last four years. So you have a situation where everybody's income, retailers, distributors, publishers, creators, are, are is not as certain as it was a couple of years ago, and we're all trying to deal with it. So... Creatively, it, it's a much more interesting time than it has ever been. <laughs> At least in, in my time since in, in the, the 70s. sense of the Chinese curse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Point of View on WNUA 95.5. Our guests are writers of stuff, Peter David, Chris Claremont, and uh, comic book chain president, Classics International Entertainment president, Gary Colabono. Gary, how's this affecting the retail business? You own the, the Moondog stores in the Chicago area. Well, my concern is what effect do these internal maneuverings in the business, what effect it has on the consumer, uh, and so I can do my planning uh, as a retailer and budgeting. Um, <clears throat> it's clear to me that these changes are, are upsetting to 
we we sell episodic fiction. <clears throat> so, and we have creatures of habit who come in at the same time as Peter was saying every week, and uh, you know the, the the publishing schedules are on a monthly basis, and then broken down into weekly ship groups. Everything is nice and neat and orderly, and now that's disrupted. What's going to happen when that consumer comes in and there is no X Men that week, there is no Hulk that week, there's no Batman that week? What's going to happen? Well, is he going to spend his money on something else? Or is he just going to spend his money on another form of entertainment? And um, my real fear is that because of these disruptions, that we're going to lose readers, that they're simply going to go away and, and do something else. And uh, and this is, a, I think, a fear that a lot of us in the business have right now because there's so much uncertainty. I mean, well, that's, I, that's the most disconcerting thing, playing off of what Chris was saying before. <clears throat> The, the downward spiral that we've seen in sales is not just attributable to Marvel. I mean, there's been an over, there's been an overall decline in the marketplace, and it could be argued that to a certain extent Marvel's actions are in response to that. But unfortunately, the way it's perceived and it's probably fairly accurate is that in a time of declining sales, Marvel has taken a step that will more or less guarantee it's going to be even harder to get the books out there than it's been before. Um, the, the Chris Claremont. Well, the, the paradox is that we're in an... We finally reached the nirvana mm. where public consciousness of comics and comics material is is probably as great, if not greater, than it's ever been. You've mm -hmm. got the Batman film, you've got Judge Dredd, you had Tank Girl early this year. Um, every new Disney animated film has a reflection to the comics medium there is an interest and an excitement in mainstream about comics material that that has not been around in a long time in the last five years first with the launch of the new x-men series from marvel then a year or so later with the death of superman and i guess a year after that with night quest the batman saga you had major you had comic book storylines that had major media awareness in the general marketplace, the general public. The frustration is we have not been able to build on that, that, that we have watched our audience become more and more insular, more and more and more dedicated, but also smaller. And my, my argument has always been with any publisher that I work with, and my, my goal has always been how do we take what is a potentially rich and powerful medium and expand expand it to the to the, the general public that knows about us but but doesn't know how to come doesn't know where to begin doesn't know how to come where to go doesn't know how to to start getting the habit of buying looking at and buying comics well we've got a situation now where where the biggest comics companies DC and Marvel are are as they have been actually for a while but increasingly are being seen as or perceived as part of huge conglomerates uh, DC which publishes well, Super are. and Batman is is a corner of uh, Time Warner Empire and Marvel's part of uh, Ron Perlman's New World Revlon Consolidated Cigar Fox Television don't leave anything out uh, Menagerie Coleman um, Lanterns I think yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I think you're right yeah. I I shouldn't question you. Um, well, that, does, that's not inherently uh, bad. Well, I was going to ask, is it inherently I mean, bad? No, well, no everybody, everybody's <laughs> part of somebody these days. I mean, mm -hmm. General Motors is not exactly you know, your mom and pop automobile manufacturer. Uh, Jaguar is owned by Ford. That doesn't necessarily mean Jaguar has gone down the tubes. Uh, the point is not 
who owns the company. The point is what the company, what route the company sees as its as its path to success, and how can we as the in effect the the driving engines of that success from a creative standpoint uh, make our contribution. You know, if uh, are you going to find success as a publisher, which which more and more surprisingly these days, for those of us who've been in the industry a long time, is DC's challenge, uh, DC's mm -hmm. ambition, and dark horses and to, and images, or do you see success as uh, how do you exploit the secondary licensing, mm -hmm. um, uh, secondary licenses that come from your characters, which is what Marvel seems to be focusing on. You see, it's really ironic because. A number of years ago, an editor at Marvel was telling me, he said, the difference between Marvel and DC is that DC is driven by licenses and Marvel is driven by publishing comic book stories. And at this point, it has gone in completely the other direction. And the thing is, when you're dealing with a conglomerate, when you're dealing with something that has so many facilities, this can be an extremely positive thing in that if they so choose, they can get the the product, for want of a better word, the characters, out to as wide an audience as possible in as many different ways as possible, ultimately, one would have hoped to feed to the comic books, or at least make people more aware of the comic books. Hey, here's the comic books, and there's movies, and there's this, and there's that. I think the thing that people find alarming about the direction that Marvel seems to be going is that comic books by extension of the uh, current mentality towards the direct market, seem to be a very, very secondary function that it, or even third or fourth rank. One thinks, for example, of a property like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which I think is the kind of thing that, that New World, which is essentially what Marvel is, yeah. is aiming towards because you have something like, like Power Rangers and here is a license that over the course of a year has taken in $1 billion worldwide. There is a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic book, but it's chump change. It's, it's incidental to all the other aspects of this license, all of which by and large is just gravy for the outfit that – for Saban, the outfit that owns the thing. And what about Sendai, the outfit that created it in the first place? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, no, the, but, the, 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 I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, in terms of conglomerates, you could just as easily say, look at at one of my prose publishers, uh, Ace Berkeley, and Peters as well, and mm -hmm. say, well, that's the, the Berkeley Putnam Group, which is owned by MCA, which is mm -hmm. owned by Seagrams, or used for, to be owned for by a while Matsushka. they had for a while they had they were like a, all these different uh, lines and books. Uh, things were being folded into it for a while. The, for a while, the operator Playboy. had to answer the phone. Berkeley Jove, Ace Playboy, Second Chance at Love. You know, they just got all of them <laughs> into the one thing. Yeah, and, and on a practical level, if you look at <clears throat> what this means again to the consumer, and that is the comic book stores, the comic book shop marketplace saved the comics book comics medium in the seventies and eighties. Close to extinction. It was I don't comics, think there's any question were, about, about it, especially when 85% or so of the revenues or the profits are being generated out of the, out of the comic book shops. So, But if you look at these conglomerates and these billionaires who are now controlling the major publishers, they're creatures of habit. It's clear to them that they, it's clear to me that their strategy is to have uh, not to be in a cult market 
even as fervent as it is. It, and they not look, to feel indebted in any way to the marketplace. That's right. That they, they simply want their products in every household in America, be it a comic book or, um, you know, foaming soap or, or, mm. or, or cereal boxes or whatever it could Pasta. be. Well, to, to L- use let me take time out just to identify the program, which is Point of View, the radio station, WNUA 95.5, and our guests, uh, science fiction, comic book, television, multimedia creators, Chris Claremont, Peter David, and comic book chain president, Gary Calabono. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Well, it's also a matter of, of perception and scale, uh, to use just as an analogy. Uh, a friend of mine, Clive Barker, the f- world best-selling fantasy horror writer and film director, screenwriter and film director, uh, spent a year working on a film called Nightbreed. And it was released some years ago from 20th Century Fox, and it died the death. It, it was a perfectly respectable film. It, it should not have tanked as badly as it did. After the the film opened and closed, Clive was at a party with some uh, suits from from the from the studio, and was talking. And one of the guys said, "Yeah, we blew it. We blew the marketing. Hey, it happens. Tough. You know, live with it. Move on to the next one." From his perspective, Nightbreed was one of what thirty films that they released that year. Uh, it was not. It was not a water world. It was not a Batman. It was not even, um, you know, it was on a... It cabin boy? Speech. Was it a cabin, cabin boy? Well, <laughs> pretty much. But from Clive's perspective, this is a year of his life. Yeah. This is, this is uh, his professional reputation. This is his vision. This is the actor, you know, it, from the perspective of the people who are working on it, it is what they are doing for a significant chunk of, chunk of time. From the perspective of the studio, it is one slot among many. From Peter's perspective, my perspective, when, when I do Sovereign Seven, when, when he does the Hulk, it is what we are doing. From the co- publisher's perspective, it's one of 100 books. From the retailer perspective, it's one of 500 books that come in a month. The, the, the perceptions, the focus, the intensity, the paranoia is significantly different because of the difference in scale. And the problem is reconciling the, the perspective of, of corporate management with, with, the, with the needs and, and ambitions of the people who are actually doing the work. Well, that's tough. That, for, that's the problem for anyone who does any sort of creative work in a, in a corporate environment or in an any environment sort of, yeah, that relies on yeah, well, the thing, which is just about everybody. The thing that's frustrating, removing it for a moment from the dollars and cents point of view and the corporate point of view is that as a creator, as a storyteller, the bottom line is that it's nice to think that you want, that you're going to get the stories that you want to tell out to as many people as possible. I mean, that's really what it's all about. That's really what it boils down to. We're telling the stories and we want people to tell them to. If we didn't want to tell them to, anybody we wouldn't be doing what we do it's 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 in our nature and when you're faced with a situation where you see your audience is going away or your audience can't find you it is tremendously tremendously frustrating you 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 put all that work into an issue of the hulk or for that matter 
I have a book that I do uh, for a small outfit called Play- Claypool Press called Soul Searchers and Company. It's small, it's black and white, and it is not easily found in the vast majority of comic book stores because people don't order it. And when you see <clears throat> shakeups in the industry that are going to make it even more difficult for the things to get out there, it is frustrating and saddening purely on a creative point of view because you're standing there ultimately trying to tell your story with fewer and fewer people to listen and you just feel like you're a voice shouting in the wilderness. Our guests on Point of View, WNUA 95.5, also guests at this weekend's 20th annual Chicago Comic-Con, today through 5 at the Rosemont Convention Center. Uh, writers Chris Claremont and Peter David, comic book chain president Gary Colabono. Chris, you were going to say something? Just, yeah, it's not just restricted to to comics. I no, mean, not all. I have, I, I very much enjoy Michael Straczynski's series Babylon Five. Mm-hmm. I like, I like what it does. I watch it every chance I get. But in New York, where I live, it's on uh, channel uh, channel nine. Channel nine. W O R. W O R. As is the case here in Chicago. Yeah, but no, it's the fifty pro- here in Chicago. Well, Sorry, the problem 50. with Channel Nine is that it also telecasts the Met games. Oh yeah. And suddenly. I can't find the series anymore because there are the you know this this moronic last place place baseball team which <laughs> used to be great uh, is preempting it in Los Angeles. Too bad, they isn't keep it? Getting, getting we hate the Mets. For the Clippers. <laughs> but uh, even more, <laughs> even worse. Gary's <laughs> from Chicago, by the way. <laughs> I mean, at least at least the Cubs you have entertainment value. Well, I mean, there's right. the same sort of problem here in Chicago: the Cubs versus uh, Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But but uh, I guess but the point is that that here you have Mike and Peter and the actors, everybody putting their heart and soul yeah. into this series. It's out there. It needs to rack up the numbers. But for the affiliate station, it's like, well, I got the baseball, I got the series. We got a long-term commitment to the baseball. We put the baseball on. We'll slug the series in at like three in the morning somewhere. Suddenly, you look at it and say, well, PTEN looks at it and says, where are the, where have the Babylon Five numbers gone? Yeah. Well, it's a major New York market. It's on at 3 in the morning. Ugh, well, maybe we should think twice about this series. Oh, mm-hmm. But, you know, even though it if it if it were on in its primetime slot, it it actually when it was on in its primetime slot, it was it was doing respectable very yeah. well for especially for a syndicated series. Well, while we're talking never about it, advertised. Now, Peter, you've written a couple of scripts for yeah. a couple of stories for Babylon 5. Right. This is ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's it's a 5-year science fiction arc, yes. serial arc. Yeah, there, well, as, what's, as what's, opposed to other SFTV series, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and there always has been from the Inspiration. Do you know the end? The end has been carefully guarded. The end has been carefully guarded. I have my speculations to it, but uh, if I did know, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> of course. Uh, I'm also waiting to see what happens if at the end, like a network comes to Mike Straczynski and says, we are making you an offer you cannot refuse. Oh, well, the end is but a new beginning. <laughs> yeah, we'll continue. Well, I, I would assume that there are, there are always infinite possibilities in terms of spin-offs. Yeah, Thomas Magnum came back from the dead. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, is there Babylon a, 5, the early years. Is there, is there a guarantee the show is going to run five years? There's a guarantee it's going to run for three years. The, it's been picked up for a third season, and because it's been picked up for a third season, that goes a long way towards making a fourth and fifth season that much more likely the, well, th- yeah. the three no the th- no seriously the th- simply on the basis of economics and in terms of producing the show if 
if they just did it for two seasons and they felt that there was no way they could make the long-term strip syndication money, they would have swallowed their losses, quote-unquote, after two seasons, packed it in, and mm -hmm. gone home. The fact that they are now going toward a third season would seem to indicate that they're really looking towards the entire five-year package. So the third season was the crucial one. And again, the, the fascinating thing is there's a lot more interesting stuff, a lot of lousy stuff, but a lot of really interesting stuff being done in syndication, especially in genre where you have Forever Night, um, Hercules, Deep Space Nine, Hercules, God help us, um, <laughs> Van I miss Vanishing County. Sun, uh, VR5 was fun, but VR5 they're, they're, was a lot of fun. Sliders has just been picked up again. Not exactly syndication. No, I, th I thought the sliders was canceled. No, they, they, changed, they, they changed their mind. Oh, they have renewed it. Fox has changed. Well, and that's Legends what happened with Forever. That's what happened with Forever Night. It was mm -hmm. canceled for a year and a half. They brought it back. The thing is, in syndication, well, it's vampires, you know. But you have a lot more freedom to play with. Highlander is another example. And the expectations are lower. I mean, you can get away in terms of the numbers in syndication well, with what with things that on terms of network wouldn't would, would they cancel you know it, you'd be sitting there watching the show and they come back from the station break and say we're sorry the show is canceled we now pick <laughs> up Jake and the Fat Man already in progress I'm and but, but and because it's it's sort of like guerrilla television the expectations on the part of the audience and and the oversight on the part of the quote unquote network is not the same one of the great advantages i had with with x-men and i suspect peter had with the hulk is that when I took over the book, it was a mid-list, bi-monthly series. No one had any expectations. If we made it to a monthly status, that would be a success. But everyone expected Dave and me to dis disintegrate in six months. Had anyone known, of course, it would have been a whole different thing. But no one paid any attention to what we were doing. Yeah. We did basically what we wanted for the better part of five years. And by the time people started noticing the kind of book it was, we had developed sufficient momentum and I was working in in a positive and enlightened enough editorial situation with Louise Simonson and Anne Nascenti, who my two key editors on the book, uh, that that we set in motion an engine of such power that it's still chugging along it couldn't have happened today. And it couldn't have happened though without comic shops to no, have that exactly. kind of give it the mm -hmm. time it needed to develop. It, it, it basically we were we were so we had the ability to sow the seeds we wanted in fertile soil. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is we have to use the, the, the Dust Bowl analogy, we have over over plowed the land we are in the middle of a dust storm, and it's locusts a matter of us coming. taking, well, mm -hmm. not so much the locusts, but we've, mm -hmm. we've burned off our topsoil, we've leached the, the, the ground of, of nutrients, and we basically, I think, have to step back and figure out how to, to restore it. And part of it is, is what we have to do as creators, part of it is to find and nurture our audience again, and in, most importantly, as publishers, as creators, as booksellers, deal with each other and with our audience with a measure of credibility and respect. We can't just jerk them around like mindless slaves. Mm -hmm. we, can, we can't toss just anything at them and expect, and expect that they're going to take it because they're too smart, and it's too they're expensive. too savvy, it's too expensive, and there's too many easy reasons to say, the heck with this, I'm not going to buy comic books anymore. They're getting harder to find, they're getting too expensive. Forget it, I'll go do something else. And if if you give them any kind of disincentive, right. they will grab it. You can understand that. I don't and go the to movies anywhere near as much as I used to because I'm paying nine bucks a pop now. 
Yeah. And the fr and the frustrating thing is that as a creator, there's only so much you can do. Ultimately, it is in the hands of the publishers. And the thing is, if the publishers look at the scorched earth and say, what can we do to sow the seeds to regrow it, you're in good shape. If the publisher looks at the scorched earth and says, well, Move on. We, we, it's, we, we did our best there and that's used it up. It takes and too let's... long to Oh, look, look, it. there's a rainforest over there. <laughs> let's go. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, we got a quarterly report every 90 days. Yeah. We're, uh, we're almost out of time. Very quickly. Uh, Chris, you've been off the X-Men for four years now. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say about the TV series and, and, and what's happened to your creations? I, have, I can honestly say I haven't watched the TV series. I don't read the book. Okay. <laughs> and uh, without, uh, without regard to your own works, before we sign off, each of you gentlemen, what would you recommend to people out there who haven't sampled comics for a while, uh, whom you'd like to show the potential of the medium? Gary Calabono. There's a guy I invited to the show uh, who has a, had a conflict this weekend. Uh, there's a small independent show up in uh, Vermont, I believe, this weekend. Uh, Steve Bissett does a book called Tyrant, which is a the, the, the birth and the life and the death of a Tyrannosaurus. And uh, there's three issues out right now. It's black and white. You can only find it in comic shops like Moondogs. I highly ding, recommend Ding, ding, ding. Plug, 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 <laughs> plug. Highly recommend <laughs> Chris Claremont. Um, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, the usual suspects are books like Sandman, but I think basically it's a matter of... of Look for what you like. Look for, for something that intrigues you. Don't, I hate to say it, don't look for companies. Don't look for even for people. If you like it, buy it. If you like it a lot, keep buying it. But, but try everything at least once. Peter David. I would pretty much say the same thing. I would not just give a flat caveat. I would not, not, not give a flat statement to uh, someone who was asking. I would instead say, what do you like? If you like hard-boiled detective, I'd recommend Sin City by Frank Miller. If you like, if, if you say like, oh, ah, gee, I, I wish the comics were like they were when I was a kid, when they were just fun and light and entertaining, I'd steer them over to Jeff Smith's Bone. Uh, whatever. Um, it you know, I, I would want, if, if you were looking for something that was mysterious, supernatural, very adult, mythic in its content, as Chris mentioned, you'd, you'd, you'd suggest them to Neil Gaiman's Sandman. So there's just a, a, a variety of things. That's really the most exciting thing about, public, about comic book publishing and the most frustrating. That on the one hand, we are on the cusp of taking this, this form and having it be its full potential in all the many ways and all the many venues through which it can entertain and by the same token on a business level it's becoming endangered and that's the real <clears throat> dichotomy we've got and that's why we had 25,000 people there this weekend because there's so much diversity in the in the art form now our guests on point of view on WNUA 95.5 are also guests at the uh, just wrapping up today, 20th annual Chicago Comic Con running today. Boy, am I exhausted from that. <laughs> at the Rosemont Convention Center. <laughs> Writers Chris Claremont and Peter David. And uh, I want to say Moondogs, but it's Classics International Entertainment President Gary Colabono. For information on the schedule of today's Comic Con events, you can call 312-743-4493. I'm Charlie Myerson. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Point of View, a weekly forum for insight and information of importance to the Chicago area. 
The views expressed are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of WNUA 95.5 or Pyramid Communications. If you have any comments or questions, send them to WNUA News, Suite 300, 444 North Michigan, Chicago 60611. Our email address is WNUANews at AOL.com. Point of View is an exclusive presentation of the News Department of WNUA 95.5 Chicago.